The Bain Free Radio Hour. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour. It's a pleasure to have you along. I am Bain Associate Editor and your podcast host, David Afshirad. Today, I sit down with some Bain authors and editors who were at DragonCon over Labor Day weekend to discuss just what makes the convention so special. All right, well, we are talking about DragonCon. DragonCon is, of course, the big, big science fiction, fantasy, media convention every year in Atlanta over Labor Day weekend. And uh, since we're talking about a con, I thought maybe I would do the con panel thing and have all of my esteemed guests kind of uh, introduce themselves. And we're going to talk about uh, fun stories from DragonCon, tips for people who've never been, why you should consider coming um and just kind of have a, a grand old time i think but uh since we're virtual um i'll just say maybe uh on my screen here howard is next to me so howard would you just uh say hey to everybody and kind of give them a an idea of who you are if they if they haven't listened to the podcast uh when you've been on previously sure sure well you can see that i'm howard andrew jones my first bane book just came out uh what a few weeks ago at this point and my next one's coming in october so the first one is lord of a shattered land it's a sword and sorcery uh epic adventure thank you dj or dave or <laughs> one of your many pseudonyms um yeah um so uh my other background i used to write for saint martin's i've done some pathfinder novels and I don't know about the rest of you guys, but this was my first time at Dragon Con in like 11 years, only my second time uh, in a while. So it kind of felt like uh, an all new experience. All right, great. Yeah, so we got a not a, quite a newbie's uh, point of view, but pretty close to it. Uh, not a newbie's point of view. Uh, Dr. Uh, Robert Hampson, what do we call you on these podcasts? Do we call you uh, Rob, we call, call you either either call me Rob or call me Speaker. Okay. Either one All works. Right. <laughs> and and for those who don't know, that's I am the speaker to lab animals. I am a research scientist in physiology and in neuroscience, and I teach medical school. And I also teach graduate students in the medical sciences how to communicate, which is actually how I got uh, at DragonCon in the first place. And I've been going since two thousand eight. Um, and I split my time across a number of tracks. Several of them are science and space where, uh, I try to put into practice what I teach. <laughs> Very good. And, uh, also, uh, bringing us the Filk point of view and maybe some other points of view as well. Mr. Gray Reinhardt, Bain slush master general. Well, that's possibly enough of a, <laughs> a introduction at all. Um, to let folks know that I'm the guy who sees the unsolicited manuscripts that come in. And you're also a filker of some renown. So, and what, what is, and, what, and what, for what, folks who don't know, yeah. uh, filk is considered to be, uh, the music of science fiction and fantasy fandom in particular. Uh, Mikey Mason, friend of mine calls it the soundtrack of fandom. And DragonCon has a very robust uh, filk music, filk singing track uh, that I've been pleased to be a part of for mm, 10 or 11 years. Um, and it uh, this year was possibly one of the best uh, of all the DragonCons that I've been to. Excellent. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, Dave, DJ Dave Butler is uh, our final guest today. Uh, you probably know him. If you've listened to the podcast at all, you've probably seen him, uh, at least recently. But uh, Dave, go. you can introduce yourself, though, too. Uh, thank you. Um, I've been going to DragonCon since, uh, I want to say, 2017, something like that. Uh, Witchy I came out. And I uh, started uh, attending some of the conventions and kind of Southern fandom, uh, DragonCon and LibertyCon principally, but sometimes others. And uh, been every year since, except the year when it was all virtual, um, uh, which was the year I won the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 
Yes, uh, I am a part-time paint editor and uh, and writer. Um, I'm not very good about proactively reaching out to the track heads. So the track that remembers me very well is alternate history. So I yeah, was on a bunch of alternate history panels this uh, this year. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, and I've been to Dragon Con, I should say. I don't remember the first one. Maybe 2015-ish, something like that. Um, I missed the virtual one and then I missed the year after. Um, but I've been there with Bain. Uh Bain always uh we have a our friends Glennis uh runs friend Glennis runs the missing volume um bookstore that's always over in the dealer's hall and we rent a corner out. So I am often there uh with some of the other Bain folk um helping do signings and uh greeting fans and all that. And then I'm also on some programming as well. Uh been doing more and more of that. So yeah, so we've all got some Dragon Con credentials, some more than others. Uh, Howard, let's talk with, to you, since you, like you said, this is the first one in a long time, and uh, really your second overall. So I remember the first Dragon Con, I think it was Thursday night, I went to Trader Vic's because it's in one of the host hotels, and I'm a big tiki nerd, and I was drinking a, you know, a Mai Tai next to Boba Fett and Slave Leia, <laughs> and Mr. Like they were playing the like Star Trek theme on a theremin, and I was like, "What is this?" You know. So um, I think Dragon Cut is a lot uh, in a good way. Uh, sometimes maybe a not so good way. It can be tiring. But what what was your impression uh, coming back to it after uh, after quite a while? Maybe we could talk to everybody like first impressions of Dragon Con or or things that stood out to you as like whoa when you first showed up. Well, you know. I'm a regular uh, goer to Gen Con. Uh, okay. It has a wonderful writer's symposium uh, in addition to just Gen Con itself being awesome. So there's a, it has writer's tracks too. And so, you know, it's of a similar size and it also has costumes. And my impression of Dragon Con, what I'd remembered was that it's even busier and the costumes are even more complex, um, but it, it's more spread out. And that was all true, but <laughs> I forgot I mean, I had specific memories of some very fine costumes, but then when you pass through the one hotel and there's like a million T-Rexes just hanging out there, Jim Zub commented uh, you could have body surfed across them one night. There were so many. Or <laughs> or uh, it, it's just so spread out amongst so many different hotels, uh, which is also different from Gen Con. You know, Gen Con has a number of satellite hotels, but it's all anchored around the uh, convention center. Well, this convention center is a little bit off to one side and the dealer's rooms on like what four separate levels. Mm -hmm. So uh, it actually took me a while to figure out how everything was all connected and where to get from here to there. Uh, but truly amazing. And there's no way to see it all because so much is happening at the same time. And there's, I mean, I saw some great costumes, but I didn't even go to the costuming tracks and I probably should have made time to go to the big, um, uh, big, I, I know there was at least one costume contest because then I imagine I would have seen even more amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, does anyone else have any like early or first time Dragon Con memories of just uh, like, at least for me? Yeah. Like it was just like, what is this even? Or, or no, you guys are all pros. You probably like no big deal. <laughs> well, the thing about it is, is when I went in um, 2008, my day job for 40 years did not allow me the time. Uh, I worked day, evening, weekend, and frankly, in the sciences, there were some elements in which science fiction was frowned upon. Oh, those Trekkies. And I had been to a couple of events when I was about 25 years earlier, um, when they were little more than um, comic book shows in the in the local shopping mall. And that was and, and I remember one from uh, late 70s, early 80s, in which we had uh, Nichelle Nichols. Uh, Uhura come in and stage set up in the shopping mall and that was it you know they come in they give a talk they're there for you know talk for about 20 minutes answer questions for about 20 minutes and they're gone that's the entirety of the convention so in 2008 for various reasons I jumped into the deep end I went to uh, StellarCon which is a small con in uh, was 
a small con in Central North Carolina. I went to Liberty Con, which is uh, some of our absolute favorites uh, among the Bane authors and fans. And then I went to Dragon Con. And my, a friend of mine who went with me said, so it was quite obvious that brain, Rob's brains dribbled out his ear and were left puddled somewhere on Peachtree Street <laughs> because it was overwhelming. And this was this was back in days when you could actually get up the elevators in the hotels without having to wait for an hour. <laughs> and but it was absolutely overwhelming the number of um, the costumes, the number of people you bumped into uh, going into the Walk of Fame and seeing celebrities that you could walk up to and. Uh, and talk to and things like that. It was just absolutely, I, I remember being absolutely overloaded. I see Dave and Gray both like nodding. Do you guys have any like thoughts on that or? Well, the first time I went to Dragon Con, it was only in the three hotels. I don't yeah. remember if it was 2006 or 2007. I was actually looking for my collection of Dragon Con badges. I hadn't thought ahead to, to pick those up to see when the first one was I went to. Um, and I actually stayed with a friend of mine at a little offsite motel, walked back and forth and thought it was a, a lot of fun. I think there were only about 20,000 people there at the time and went back the next year, took my family. We did a lot of the fan track stuff. Everybody had a great time, but then, oh, we're going to add the Sheraton. Oh, we're going to add the Weston. And then, oh, yes, the dealer's hall, which was originally in the basement of the Marriott, outgrew that. So we're going to go to the America's Mart, and it ballooned and ballooned and ballooned. Um, but I, I got to say that my experiences at DragonCon have been fantastic in terms of meeting some of the coolest people, folks that I am friends with to this day from the very first one I went to. Um, and as long as you don't mind occasionally rubbing shoulders with somebody, uh, because you will as you're on the sidewalk or, or going from hotel to hotel, uh, it's a blast. Yeah, I I have uh, had two initial impressions, and I think they've they've sort of proved to be true, and and they're a little bit in tension actually. So on the one hand, I found DragonCon very welcoming. I think this is my experience again in Southern fandom generally, uh, and fandom generally is pretty welcoming, right? There are some clicks within it, and you can get yourself run over if you're not careful, but generally speaking. You know, people people are there for something they love, and if they think that you love it too, or you can be induced to love it, then then they'll they'll share with you, right? But Dragon Con's very welcoming in a sort of a Mardi Gras um, kind kind of way. Everybody's sweaty. A lot of people are in costumes. Some people's costumes do not involve being fully clothed, uh, right? And and it's like it's welcoming like a big party. Um, the uh, the the other the other thing is it's it's so big, and it's so sprawling, and it's it grows or metastasizes maybe depending on your point of view, but but there's uh, as a result there's tradecraft. Dragon Con has lore that you kind of need to get around. Rob's referred to some of this already, right? So here's like a piece of lore. Like if you're trying to go up or down on an elevator in one of the main hotels in DragonCon, when the elevator <laughs> door opens and there's a space you get in, it doesn't matter if the elevator's going the wrong way. Because you might not get a space going your way, right? You might wait for a long time. So you just get in when you can get in, right? Um, that's just, that's how you operate at DragonCon. Uh, you got to know that. You gotta. You, you want to know that the uh, the Hyatt, the Marriott, and the Hilton are connected by an air conditioned bridge, right? And to and it's tricky in the Marriott because you got somewhat air con somewhat air somewhat conditioned. conditioned. <laughs> it's air conditioned until you put forty thousand sweaty 
bodies into it, right? <laughs> then, Back then in the day, problems. they didn't all used to be connected, though. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And you had, to get from the Marriott to the Hilton, you actually had to go down and cross the street. Oh, interesting. See, and there's these, and the, so there's these bits of, uh, so here's another one. Uh, Saturday morning, there's going to be a parade. It's going to cut off, it's going to cut, cut off Peachtree. So it's going to cut the con in half, right? Um, but you can get under the parade by going down into the Marta stop, right? So, uh, hey, you want to meet a writer? Where do you go? Well, the bar at the Westin. Like all the writers sooner or later end up at the bar at the Westin, right? There's all these little bits of lore that you kind of have to go two or three times uh, to, uh, to, to, become a, to become a comfortable Dragon Con operator. Uh, but, uh, um, but, but it's, it's been worth it for me. Uh, I, have a lot of, I have a lot of fun. Get a lot done by certain measures of what constitutes work. Yeah, you have to learn. You learn about the food court and the secret food court. There's uh, a secret food court. We yeah, have, there's a secret we'll food court. Air. <laughs> <laughs> <Not> everyone know. <laughs> uh, yeah, food is is tricky. Like, because those lines at the food court get crazy, and um, I mean, the one CBS time, on Peachtree runs out of stuff. Yeah get in there and it's like it's like a pack of wolves has gone through and thoroughly depredated the place right all of the caffeinated drinks are gone yeah so i like the bodega if you exit the uh side door with the ramp out of the west and there's a little bodega across yes. the street from it and that that's my favorite they're they're they don't seem to jack up the prices for the con uh and i think they're just enough steps off of peach tree that they don't get thoroughly sold out. So I've never gone in there and not been able to get, you know, the Diet Coke or whatever it was I wanted. There you and go. It's everyone. Smart. That's, that's next to what used to be uh, Pity Pat's Porch? Uh, yeah. yes. I think that's right. That's yeah. right. Yes. Um, which I was actually, when you said that, I thought about Pity Pat's, which is, I've only been going not nearly as long as Speaker and, and Gray, um, maybe a longer than Dave. I don't know. We'd have to compare notes. But um, but, but is there anything uh, from Dragon Con's past that was no longer around that you sort of miss? And and the two to me is uh, Pity Pat's Porch, where we used to do the Bane brunch for all our authors, because that was like so good, those grits and fried chicken, man. Um, yeah. So I do miss that. And then the other thing is uh, they... Now, the famous carpet is where? The Marriott that everybody wears? Marriott. Yep. Yeah. But I don't think I ever saw that. I don't remember when they changed that. But I missed, because the Hilton, they had the same carpet. They even filmed, I think, the Nice Guys, that Ryan Gosling, Russell Crowe movie there. And that's supposed to be in LA. Because they had, so all these hotels, or at least a couple of them, have this like uh, very 70s, that's when they were built, like brutalist sort of. And to me, it's perfect for Dragon Con because I feel like I'm like in Logan's Run or something, right? Like that, looks, <laughs> you know, uh, what we thought the future would look like in the '70s. But they used to have this orange, like, such '70s carpet, and I and I do miss that. So, is there anything, uh, especially for the veteran or Howard? You were here 11 years ago. Maybe something you remembered that that has changed that you kind of miss, and then we'll and then we'll keep it positive and uh, forward thinking from from this point forward. Uh, anything over time, uh, you know, that's changed. Well, the only thing, the only clear memory I had of of, um, of my previous time was that it felt like there were there was one big convention hall, and then stuff related to comics was the floor below, and it was just so much easier for me to navigate that space than going up the floor. But I understand why you would move it to another place if it's just grown so big. Um, yeah, everybody else only only improvements. Is that what I'm seeing? Well, um, the Hilton renovated their lobby about five years ago. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they did was they took out an escalator that was in the, you know, just inside the front door and to the right, which meant that you could get up to the meeting rooms, uh, which for me is important because that's where science track and space track were. 
And you could get up to the meeting rooms without having to go all the way to the back of the Hilton and then come up the escalators uh, where the whole crowd was. And there was a little market where you could buy sandwiches and things like that off to that side. And uh, and that's where the hotel check-in was. Because when I first started going, I was staying in the Hilton. And now I'm in the Hyatt most of the time. Uh, but the I I miss the that escalator simply because when the crowds got really bad and i had to walk from the hyatt to the hilton i would go outside i mean this shocking uh that you would go outside in atlanta on labor day weekend uh in the heat and sometimes the rain and walk down or up that incredible three block hill uh to uh, and I'd walk down to the Hilton. I'd go in the side door. I could go right up the escalator, right to the meeting rooms, and all of that's gone. And frankly, I miss that. And I suppose I'm sure that that Hilton had some study that said this is going to be more efficient this way. But I I, I miss them having an extra way to get up to the upper floor. Just when you find the secret passageway, they board it off. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they did that, and and the uh, and the uh, Weston had a tunnel over to the America's Mart, which is where the dealers are now. And now that is closed off, and you can't go that way either. So yeah, every once in a while, they close convenient. things on you. Yeah, that that was very convenient. I think I misspoke earlier. I think I said the Hilton when I meant the Hyatt, because it used to be the Hyatt. You would have to go out. Um, past what was the pool and then down and across the street to get to the Marriott. To get to the Marriott. Right. But uh, I think the thing that I miss, I used to not stay in any of the con hotels. There was a hotel that was right across the street from the Weston and across the, the other street from the, the police station. And at the time that I started going and staying there, it was a Marriott property. Hmm not affiliated with the convention necessarily, but I could get in there. It was quieter. There were fewer people. And I didn't mind walking up and down a few blocks uh, to be able to get that. But then they sold it. Somebody else bought it. I was no longer able to get rooms there. And that kind of became uh, a little bit of a drag. Um, but one of the things I'll say that I, I, I don't miss or one of the improvements that I have seen um, actually relates to the filk track we were talking about earlier. When I first went to the filk track at DragonCon, it was in the sub-sub basement of the Hyatt in one of the tiny little rooms. And it was, it was very hard to find. And sometimes they would have guys come and perform and people would be sitting out in the hallway for an hour uh, as if they were waiting to see, you know, the cast of Star Trek in a big room, but they finally moved us into, into better, bigger digs. And it's been a lot more um, pleasant to be part of that, to be part of that track. Yeah. One thing we're talking about, did Dave, did you have something? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, I'm not sure whether I missed this yet or not, but the Chinese restaurant I liked, it's one block away from the West. And I, I tried to go, it was closed during what appeared to be opening hours. So I'm afraid that my tradition of having one meal at shoes might be over. Yeah, that would be a, a great sadness. For me. For you. I, I'm, yeah, sure. <laughs> Maybe also for shoe. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you went there more than once a year, maybe they could have stayed up. Maybe I should have been <laughs> there more often. Um, so we've been talking about these different tracks. And so let's talk about some panels. Um, you know, when I first, so my first panel I was ever on at a convention, I'd gone to a couple smaller literary cons uh, just to go. And then I, uh, you know, was working for Bain and, and come to Dragon Con. And so um, I was a, an attending professional or whatever we call us. Um, we're not guests. We're like the next tier down. And so they put me on one panel. It was the, anyways, the first panel I was ever on. I was with like David Weber, John Ringo, Mike Williamson, and a couple other people on like a military science fiction panel. Uh, luckily, I did not have to moderate it. Thank goodness. But like, you know, in a room of like 200 people, I was terrified. 
but over the years, you know, I've been doing, I've done more and more, and I've also done other panels at other conventions. And I think this year, you know, in the past, I've enjoyed them fine, but this year, I don't know, something was different, felt different, and it really clicked. And man, I just had a blast on all my panels this year. Uh, so I was wondering what that experience was like this year and in past years for everybody. Howard, maybe, um, did you was there any standout panels or moments or or what do you like about doing panels at Dragon Con or in general or um... I, I like a good panel. I mean, a lot of it depends on the moderator and the uh, your fellow panelists. You've probably been on those panels at some point where there's someone who won't shut up and they'll keep, as I mentioned in my book, they're just constantly trying <laughs> to promote their book instead of just like trying to interact and share uh, information that the audience would be interested in. Um, so I really liked how well organized, uh, the panels were, for instance, uh, instead of you having to remember to take your nameplate around with you, as I've had at other cons, they hand your nameplate out to you on the panel. And then the, the, uh, organizers will take that nameplate away. You can't go lose it or forget to take it to your next panel. They will make sure it's sitting in front of you. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I was only on uh, two panels uh, this particular time. I wasn't there for the full convention. Uh, and I was impressed by the moderators that they chose. They were well organized and they asked good questions. Uh, and the attendance uh, was quite excellent. I didn't realize quite why one of them was packed to the gills, uh, not knowing uh, that there were some urban fantasy. I, I don't really follow urban fantasy romance. And so there were there were two apparently really well-known urban fantasy romance people like, oh, now I understand. Because almost once the question session started, almost every question was directed to one or the other of them. <laughs> uh. Well, Dave, I know you talked about you had some like a liars panel or something. What was that? Like that's yeah. fun. Yeah. The, the alternate history people were very good about um uh creating panels that are more than just asking a series of prepared questions so um so yeah so one one of the examples so so for i'll give you two examples so they do like a mad libs panel and i've been on this three years running where uh they bring in you know there's like five authors on the panel or something and they take uh about a one page excerpt out of each writer's uh, a novel by each writer and they um, they remove words right and and leave blanks and and then they they run that like a mad lib with the crowd right I need an adverb give me two adjectives I need a color I need a past tense verb right and you go through and and then you read uh, uh, you are handed your page usually and you read it, you, you can't tell what book it is until you get it and then you're like oh okay uh and so, and that's, that's usually very funny yeah have you, uh, that sounds like it, it'd be a blast did it improve your where you're like oh no i <laughs> the second edition i need to change and i need to i need to tweak it just like this <laughs> uh uh there were some uh man i can't remember the, the, you know you know how it is some sometimes people are just uh inserting words that are funny in and of themselves right moist ointment uh, right, <laughs> like whatever the sentence is, it's gonna sound ludicrous with that word in it. Uh, and and but then sometimes you end up with something that's I'm trying to remember an example, and I'm not remembering one right now, where um, like the result is kind of perfect. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, I was also on a panel where uh, you we were supposed to come prepped with uh, obscure historical actual facts and then also lies um and uh and we just kind of we do we'd go down we take a turn everyone would tell and you don't you don't say you know whether you're lying or not right and and then the audience has to sort of guess uh right uh is it true that queen elizabeth had a flush toilet is it true that, uh, you know, uh, Samuel de Champlain was a bastard son of King Henry of France. Is it true that, um, and it was, a, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Yes, yeah, so kudos to the alternate history track people. Speaker, you, you talked about how you've been uh, sort of have like um, 
what's the metaphor I'm looking for? You're in a couple different worlds, I guess. Um, on these tracks, you do a lot of the science stuff, but then uh, some of the other things. So, um, what what for you stood out or has stood out in the past? Well, the first Dragon Con panel I can remember was Apocalypse Rising. Is was the name of the track, and Apocalypse Rising was. Uh, in later years, it went through a phase where it was all about The Walking Dead TV show. But in the earlier days, this was apocalyptic fiction. And I can remember sitting, listening to a panel in which um, Steve Sterling says, I killed off, um, you know, five billion people in Dies the Fire uh, universe. And uh, and then... Uh, Mike Williamson says, I killed off 6 billion people in the weapon, uh, the 6 billion uh, people on Earth. And and Ringo says, I killed off 17 billion people, left 1 million alive in uh, in his um, uh, one of his universes, one of the very first ones he wrote. Um, it's a sort of a future fantasy. And then Weber says, I killed off the entire Fifth Imperium. And it was, they were, and they were all going on about killing off, you know, that, you know, how the end of the world would come. And I, this, it really kind of stuck with me. And I noticed they did another thing called uh, preparation. They were, uh, they were heavily sponsored and involved with a group called Zombie Squad. And Zombie Squad is all about emergency preparation, was, unfortunately. Uh, uh, the, they, they have, uh, they have disappeared. Um, I guess Anything they. else you miss. Yes. And the and they were talking about emergency preparation, how if you're, quote, prepared for zombies, you're prepared for a hurricane, you're prepared for a flood, you're prepared for a blizzard, uh, for an earthquake, so on and so forth. And the. We were in a room in the basement of the Hyatt and the lights went out. Half of the audience reached into their bag, pulled out their Surefire flashlights and turned their flashlights on. And we continued the panel. Uh, <laughs> and then it turned out that what it was is the way the rooms were set up. Somebody had leaned against the light switch in another room and turned off our lights and didn't know it. But uh, uh, so I got started. The very first panel I ever did was um, was as a just as a panelist, as a non attending pro non-guest uh, in Apocalypse Rising because I was a, uh, I was an Eagle Scout. I'm a, I was at the time a uh, assistant scout master and worked with the camping and the hiking and, and a lot of the emergency preparation. And so we did a panel on what's in your bug out bag. Uh, and so I, um, so I ended up, when when I first started as an attending pro and later as a guest, I am a scientist, so I end up in the science track. But I was doing work with um, Tennessee Valley Interstellar Workshop, which is now Interstellar Research Group, and met Rain Glenn, who is the track director for Space Track. And so she had me on Space Track panels. And I had written some uh, some short stories and eventually some novels. So I got involved with sci-fi literature and uh, of course, Apocalypse Rising. And then this year I ended up with the military sci-fi media as a fifth track, uh, which is absolutely amazing. So I've done some stuff on, on multiple different tracks. Uh, I love them all, but for this year, probably my favorite was a space track panel called If We Could Talk With The Aliens. And it was Chuck Gannon, Les Johnson, Douglas Talk, and myself. And all four of us have been on panels with each other over many years, uh, not all at the same time. I'm on lots of panels uh, with Les. I'm on lots of panels with, with Chuck at DragonCon and, and with Doug in the, in the space track. We didn't require a moderator. We just started talking. And the audience is sitting there like this the entire time. They're at rapt attention. And that's some of the best when we didn't require, we didn't have a structure, we didn't have questions we were doing. We were just um, polite enough to let everybody talk and yet still 
able to stay. Now, what you just said, let me extend that a little bit further, which then took us in a different direction, which took us somewhere totally different. Now, we didn't talk about talking to aliens all that much, but we talked about the concept of aliens and communication and space and UAPs, unidentified and aerial phenomena and the like, and whether we thought they were real or whether they were really secret earth tech that nobody had was admitting to yet and things like that and so those type of panels are incredibly fun and uh dragon con excels at both the moderated panel uh, uh science track actually provides their own moderators um volunteers in the track end up being the moderators for those and so they have questions and and everything like that those are fun those are great um and then some of the ones that are just free form and we don't, we, we stay mostly on topic. Uh, uh, we, there was another one we had that got way off topic, but it was okay. Cause it was still fun, but uh, uh, I, I enjoy those. And, and that's part of what keeps me going back. Yeah, definitely that. Um, just when you, when you get that rapport with the people up there and, and back and forth, it, that's, I think always when like the, the really good panels often happen. Um, Greg, you, uh, you, you're a lot of hanging out in the filth world. Uh, what are, what is that track like? Is, are there panels for, in the filth like track or is it mostly music or how does that work? Generally, they will bring in a slate of musicians as, as track performers and they would, usually have them uh, run workshops occasionally. Uh, Andrew McKee will do a workshop on uh, songwriting or Mark Gunn will do a workshop on, I think his was in particular writing drinking songs. Um, the, the Blithering Humdingers in the past have done workshops with uh, medieval instruments to introduce people to the Krumhorn and other uh, uh, such devices. Um, so they do uh, some panels in and amongst the concerts and the, the general music sessions. Um, I've been lucky enough to also be on some panels in science fiction literature, uh, in the writing track in past years. And I think I was on a space track panel once long ago, a few years ago, uh, one of the fantasy um, tracks had me on. Um, it's kind of nice sometimes when some of the new folks uh, or some new panel and some new track will will pick you and and say, "Hey, come, you know, be a part of what we do." Yeah. Uh, so I hope that that uh, that can keep on as well. I will. I, I I did think of one other thing, David. Back to your question of something that I missed um, for several years. Uh, my friend uh, Alethea Contis used to run her traveling sideshow as part of the young adult literature track and allowed me to come and play music and do skits and things there. Uh, she was not able to be there this year and has not been able to do the sideshow for quite some time, but that was always a lot of fun in a packed room with you know, from kids all the way up to grandparents and just always a great, great time. Uh, so I do hope that one day she will be able to bring that back. Yeah, it sounds, sounds very cool. Um, that's another thing, which I don't think we can really speak to, but there is like a, a kid's track and a young adult track and stuff at Dragon Con too. So um, sort of like a cruise ship or something. They like keep them, I don't know. I don't know where they keep them, but you'll occasionally see little Obi-Wan Kenobis wandering around. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, we're, we're kind of coming up on time here. Um, just any kind of closing thoughts about Dragon Con that you feel like um, people should know or our tips if people, after they hear how awesome it is us talking, they're going to want to go next year. So any tips for first timers or uh, just any closing stories or thoughts that anybody has? Uh, I'd love to hear them. Like, uh, I, yeah, Dave. So I, I alluded to sort of getting work done at DragonCon. I never, I never write the word count I think I'm going to write because there's too many things to do. But, but what happens at DragonCon is you meet people. Mm -hmm. um, it's a great place to meet to plan to meet people um, 
you know, who, who, I mean, I mean, like you, David, right? It's a place where I can see you. We, we do not live in the same states. I get to see you a couple, three times a year in person. Dragon Con is a place where I get to meet you and other, other pros. But also, um, it's a place where you serendipitously meet people. So uh, a, a few years ago, I want to say this is 2019. We could easily figure out the year. Um, I was at a, I was up in Rob Hampson's suite, standing in the corner with my back to the balcony, uh, talking with uh, uh, then editor Jim Minns about whatever. Um, and Jerry Pornell was sitting on a sofa. And uh, 2019. Yeah, 2019. And Jerry stood up and walked over to me. And I didn't know him. And when he when he when he reached me, he looked at me and he said, Oh, you're not who I thought you were. But then he didn't go sit down. He just kept talking. And he talked to me for two hours. And halfway through that, Larry Niven walked in, saw his friend Jerry, came over and stood next to Jerry. And I just sat there with and Jim and I said almost nothing, right? We'd say, Oh, interesting. Oh, who was that? Oh, tell me more. As Jerry Pornell and then Jerry and, and Larry Niven just kind of downloaded on uh, stories about people and stories about careers over, you know, 60, 70 years of being a science fiction novelist, right? And uh, completely unplanned. I couldn't have engineered it if I tried. It's the kind of thing that can happen at DragonCon. Yeah, I, absolutely. I try to encourage people when they're first, they're, they're like, well, how do I break in? Well, first, you have to write a lot of stories and you have to read a lot of stories. But if you want to get involved in the industry, you got to start uh, showing up at, and volunteering, but you've got to make appearances at these things. And you can't expect to just, I'm going to make this connection. Everything will break wide open for me. It's like you go because you enjoy it and you're also playing the long game. You'll make connections with this person, and who knows? Eventually, they might have a connection somewhere else. Um, you get to know people, and the more people you know, as long as you're not an asshat, <laughs> uh, uh, and you show up and you do good work, um, if you represent well and you interact with people well, you're going to make these connections, and they'll lead to other connections. Um, but you can't go in with an agenda, like like Dave just said there. Stuff will just happen if you're there because all of these people who shared these interests of yours are going to be there too. Yeah, I think um, that that the 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 key of that is is it, it is sort of like a accumulation over time. It's not like a well, I met this person and they said, and it could happen. They said, send me the book, and now I'm a New York Times bestseller, right? But right. um, just sort of accumulating these connections. And and the thing to me is I think writing or editing yeah, is kind of lonely in some ways. You're doing it in a room with a computer usually. And so to me, I always find any con sort of, it's sort of inspiring in a way. Like you see other people doing it. It makes it sort of real. It, you realize that there is this community. Um, and, uh, and and so in that way, I think it's beneficial too of, of you're not... Um, in this little bubble that you do have to be in to be a writer, but uh, that there's also this wider world. I remember, I'm going to tell one quick story that Dave reminded me of is, is at the Bain brunch and, and me and Aaron Michael Ritchie, Dave's co-writer, we're talking about Twin Peaks as we always do. Uh, although we tamped that down this year and we were sitting across from Mike Resnick and he, and he had sat down after us. So we were sitting, we were yammering on about Cooper and Laura Palmer. And uh, I could tell he was like, if we I like we're being rude here like we need to cut this off quickly because it turned out Resnick had not watched television since like 1985 he said like right he realized like something was going to have to give it his life and so he like had he's like I literally have not watched anything on television since 1985 um and so like we quickly wrapped up the Twin Peaks conversation but then we got to talk to him like and he told us all about you know his days writing, you know, softcore novels and, and, you know, you know, and then sadly he, he died a few years later and, and, uh, you know, that was so cool and that would not have happened. Obviously that was at sort of a, a closed event, the Bain brunch, but you know, um, that's the kind of thing that can happen like Dave's saying. And, and 
I don't think I got any professional benefit from that, but just to have that opportunity to sit down with somebody uh, who I admired like that. And um, that would not have happened, you know, if I'd stayed home. So uh, that kind of thing too. But sometimes like Howard's saying, you do get professional. Like sometimes you meet an editor who then says, Hey, you know what? Uh, I'm, you know, putting together an anthology. I'd, I'd love to get a story from you or, you know, and usually it is cumulative and it's one step at a time. I, uh, one of the Bain brunches, I was an anthology editor and several of the authors came up and says, okay, well, let me talk to you at the Bain brunch and we'll talk over the story idea. And so I had like three different authors saying, okay, here's my story idea. Is this, will this fit the anthology? And I go, oh, wow. Yeah, that's, I, I'm, I'm the guy that they're all talking to now. And it was really weird, but I have a follow-up to um, uh, DJ's uh, story about talking with uh, Purnell. And that is that it was 2018, by the way, um, because, because 29, like a week later, I know, but wow. see, I know, yeah. I know one of his sons rather well. Uh, I know Philip well. I've met Alex and talked with Alex on many occasions. They have both assured me he had the time of his life. He hadn't been to a convention like that in a group like that, able to talk to fans and fellow authors alike uh, to the extent that he did. Um, uh, and he went away from the convention talking about all of the new authors he'd met, all of the fans and readers he had talked to, all of his old friends. Uh, last year, we had Greg Benford. Um, and I had met Greg a couple of times. I knew him you know, somewhat. Uh, we had crossed paths. Uh, we spent an awful lot of time talking. And then he hung out with us the one night we had the party. And there's a picture of him and Alan Steele and Larry Niven sitting on the couch talking and a bunch of us uh, sitting around talking with him. And Greg said, this is like the old cons, you know, where you sit and you've got a mixture of fans and authors around and you just talk and have a good time. The connections that you can make at Dragon Con, if, you, if you're wanting to break in, go and listen. Um, and the other thing is, sometimes the author, sometimes the person on a panel has to rush to another panel. Uh, if you're trying to get from the Hilton to the Westin and you have a half an hour between panels, um, you've got, and, and the author or the panelist does, uh, and they say, sorry, but I've got to rush to the Westin. If you're the fan or the aspiring author, you say, can I walk with you? And you do that. And it's it's absolutely wonderful. And, you know, and then the and then the person that you get to wherever you to what your destination is, that person then turns and walks and does goes to some other panel. That's fine because you've had you've just had an opportunity to walk and talk. Um, and if there's uh, and if they don't have something they're rushing off to, then talk to him a little bit after the panel and and then go out into the hallway and find a place to sit and talk and chat because I have found that so many of the panelists are willing to talk when someone comes up and I try to be willing to talk too. You also meet, you also hit the strangest coincidences. I had uh, a young man come up to me after a panel and says, hey, Mr. Hampson, do you remember me from Boy Scouts? And it's been... Um, 15 years and he remembered me and you know when he told me his first name i immediately you know i recognized him remembered you know who he was and and said oh you're and you know gave his last name and he just broke into a smile i'm in line for sushi in the food court and actually i was just I just got my orders walking out and i had somebody else and this time they said hey dr hampson and i go wait a minute um, you know, the only ones that call me doctor are my students. And yeah, she was one of my students uh, in there. And another of my former students is actually a panelist and I was on panels with. The connections you make and the 
uh, and the small world feeling. I mean, okay, so you're you're there with sixty five thousand of your closest friends, all packed into the same elevator. Uh, but it is, and if you thought that was a small world, wait until you start, you know, finding the people from, you know, from all walks of life that you, what are you doing here? <laughs> it's so much fun. It's so much fun. Great. Any thoughts, closing thoughts? Tips? Um, I would just say one, be prepared to be surprised. Um, I was surprised at this Dragon Con. Uh, after an event, uh, a fellow named Ira came up to me and held out a bag and said, pick something out. And I reached in and he had a bag full of little uh, 3D printed things. And what I got was a, <laughs> a Santa Grogu um, that he had 3D printed. And he was just giving these things out. Um, and, and secondly, on the subject of people who give things out, be on the lookout. If you go to Dragon Con, you've never been before. Be on the lookout for Duckman and the Duck Fairy who hand out rubber duckies. And they get the greatest joy doing that. Um, they have become a fixture. They generally lay in easily 10,000 rubber ducks just to give out at Dragon Con every year. Wow. Um, and they will, will, they do that to bring a smile to your face and it puts a smile on their face as well. Um, but just go, uh, with an open mind and, and plan to have fun and no doubt you will. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. And, uh, I think like we've said too, is, is you may want to go a few times, right? I mean, if you, it, it can be expensive, I know, but, uh, you know, I think the first time to me was, like I said, so cool, but like very overwhelming. But now it's it's like we've talked about you. You meet these friends you see only there and you get to know the secret. We still don't know the secret food court. You have to tune in next year for that update, um, <laughs> you know, but you get to know the secret code and you. Oh, that guy. I remember that the guy who dresses, whatever, you know, so um, it is it does have a, a, a great um effect of, of year after year really uh becoming its own thing so i want to thank the panel everybody howard speaker uh rob hampson uh gray and dj butler for coming on and talking about dragon con it is every labor day uh weekend in downtown atlanta and we hope to see you guys there thanks so much thanks david right. and now we bring you our audiobook serialization of tinker by Wynne Spencer. Inventor girl genius Tinker lives in a near future Pittsburgh, which now exists mostly in the land of the elves. She runs her salvage business, pays her taxes, and tries to keep the local ambient level of magic down with gadgets of her own design. When a pack of wargs chase an elven noble into her scrapyard, life as she knows it takes a serious detour. Tinker finds herself taking on the elven court, the NSA, the Elven Interdimensional Agency, technology smugglers, and a college-minded xenobiologist as she tries to stay focused on what's really important, her first date. Armed with an intelligence the size of a planet, steel-toed boots, and a junkyard dog attitude, Tinker is ready to kick butt to get her first kiss. The impounded goods had been unloaded in a warehouse in the Strip District. Basically, just one low room a block long. The place fairly crawled with armed EIA. While security for the building ran high, lighting and climate control left much to be desired. Natural light came in from windows lining an upper walkway. Work lamps tacked to support columns provided additional light, plugged into jury-rigged electrical boxes, a newly strung Romex line. Because of the virgin forests occupying most of the western continent, Elfholm usually ran several degrees cooler than Earth. Since Pittsburgh suffered from high humidity, the lower temperatures were a blessing. The rainstorms of shutdown and startup over, a rare summer heat, however, had moved in. The warehouse's only nod toward climate control was ceiling fans, cloaked in the shadows high overhead, that barely moved the oven-like heat of the building. Tinker found herself wishing for shorts and a midriff shirt. In Maynard's company, 
She didn't even feel like unbuttoning her shirt. Sweat trickled down her back as she followed Maynard through trestle tables set up and loaded with smuggled goods. What she discovered made her forget the heat. There were digital boards, stripping kits, and connector kits. For fiber optics work, they had a full run of splice trays, hot melt connector systems, and a curing oven. She found a spool of gold wire, fault finders, micro scanners, and status activity monitors. There were tech kits that set her mouth drooling, punch boxes, wire crimp tools, small precision mirrors. There were even new digital markers that laid out a metal-based ink held in a buckyball matrix. Tinker poked through the stuff, wishing she could take the lot back to her place. Lane had told her tales about the world beyond the rim, where such stuff was plentiful. Much as Tinker loved Pittsburgh, she had to admit that there was a true shortage of goods. Maynard interrupted her trolling to hand her a length of cable with a box at the end. Do you know what this is? Tinker took it. She turned it in her hands, studying it. The box was molded plastic with two power ports. She tried the various screwdrivers she had tucked into her pockets, the third being the charm, and undid the screws. Oh my, this is sexy. What is it? It's a power transformer. You recognize it? What's to recognize? This is a male 220 line, meaning you plug it into a 220 outlet. It would have a pull on par with an electric clothes dryer or an electric range. The female leads are typical magic connectors. It takes electrical power and transforms it to magic. The question is, what type of spell is it keyed to? It would have to be keyed to only one spell. There isn't any way to change the output frequency. It's preset. Although, if you knew the frequency it was outputting, then you could probably set up a secondary translation spell any time you wanted to use it for a different spell. You'll see a loss in power efficiency on the order of 11%, but at this amperage, such a power loss would be negligent. Shit, I could have used something like this on Windwolf. I'll have to build one. You could build one of these? Yeah, it wouldn't be too hard. Of course, there's a whole question of why bother. Here on Elfholm, there's enough magical power to fuel any spell without the cost of electrical energy. And on Earth, except for healing elves, there are already mechanical solutions for almost everything. Magic doesn't work on Earth. Does too. Tinker replaced the screws and tightened them down. The laws of the universe don't change just because you hop dimensions. The difference is the amount of magical power in the dimension. Think of magic as a waveform passing through multiple realities. Elf home exists at the top of the wave. Magic is plentiful. Earth exists at the bottom of the wave. Magic is rare. Magic follows the laws of physics just like light, gravity, and time. I could show you the math, but it's fairly complex. There are types of radiation more common in one reality than the other, but lucky for us, the generation waveform seems larger, so we fall close enough on the curve that it doesn't affect either species adversely. So you can do magic on Earth? It's how I kept Windwolf alive, Tinker said. I had magic stored in a power sink and used it to feed a healing spell. Can you tell what the smugglers might have been trying to build with all this? Tinker shrugged. Not a clue. I'm afraid I don't have a criminal mind. Make a wild guess. She sighed, glancing around. Well, unless they scooted off with all the uncommon stuff, they're not going to make a wide range of items. I'm guessing all those power transformers are set to the same frequency, or else they would be labeled somehow. There's a lack of movable parts, so it's not like a car or a bike or a printing press. It's magic-based, either many scattered copies of one spell or one massive spell. Can you tell what spell? You'd better check with the elves for that. The best I can do is to match the frequency to a known spell, but my knowledge of magic is fairly limited. For all I know, they're going to change the population of Pittsburgh into frogs. Maynard sighed slightly perhaps not looking forward to trying to pry information from the always obtuse elves. Anything else? Well, Tinker held out the power transformer. 
You could let me take this home and play with it. I can figure out the cycle on the magic output and search through my spell database for a match. It would at least start eliminating possibilities. Take it then. She lifted up the markers. I don't suppose I could have these as part of my payment? Was that a smile that tugged his mouth slightly sideways for one second? You can have them. Maynard produced a business card and presented it. This is my direct number. If you figure anything out, give me a call. It is always answered. Of course it was. He was God of Pittsburgh. There was no name on the card, only a phone number. Wow, God's private phone number. Tinker pocketed it. I'll let you know what I find out. I'll take you home. She wasn't comfortable with the idea of God knowing where she lived, although he certainly could find out easily enough. I've got some shopping to do before everything's gone. Could you just drop me at Market Square? That was another installment in Win Spencer's Tinker, and that's it for the podcast. Thanks as always to Audible.com and podcast theme composer Ruth Judgewitz. Praise, thanks, and gratitude to everyone for discussing Dragon Con today, and good night, Tony Daniel, wherever you are. This is David F. Shirod coming to you from a soundproof bunker somewhere deep in the heart of Texas. Join us here next week at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy, and keep reaching for the stars. <laughs>